This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Good morning, everyone. I got a little bit of echo, but I'm sure that'll all work out. Welcome to 2020. Welcome to a new study. Welcome to a new topic. And I'm sure that you guys are excited about it, too, because last winter we did Priscilla Shire's study on um, hearing the voice of God. And wasn't that a great study? So we're following it up this year in our shorter little winter um, study. It's going to be a a quick little little one on the armor of God. And um, I can't wait. So the passage that we're going to be diving into during this study is Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 20, and I just want to start by reading that out loud. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought. So you'll notice, if you, if you follow around in your Bible, you'll notice that right after that is the final greeting. So this is really sort of the culmination of the book of Ephesians. Um, and Ephesians is, is just such a great book anyway, right? He talks about... Um, a lot about the, the wholeness, the, the, the wonder of God, and, and just very, very beautiful, beautiful language describing um, what Christ has done for the church. And at the end here, and he gets practical, talking about instructions for how we're supposed to live the Christian life, and at the very end, it's, it's kind of like in many movies, you have um, the military general or the person who is marshalling the troops, and he gives his big inspirational epic speech that gets everyone to like, yeah, okay, awesome. And, and that's kind of what Paul is, I guess, doing at the end of his letter here. So um, it's pretty appropriate that he's... Um, telling everybody to, to get your, get your uh, armor, put on the whole armor, and, and stand firm. And you'll also notice that in all of his description about putting on all the armor and praying at all times and all places, using that word all over and over and over, um, he's talking a lot about prayer. He's not just talking about being a warrior. He's talking about being a prayer warrior. 
So as we go through this study, a lot of the emphasis is going to be on prayer. And Paul actually wrote this while he was in prison, perhaps while he was chained to a Roman soldier. So he got a pretty good look at that armor of an actual Roman soldier while he was writing this, right? So um, being someone who myself is, uh, loves history, loves ancient Rome, loves the Bible, loves putting all those bits of history and things together, um, I couldn't resist. I had to share a little bit of my own um, collection of musings and thoughts and co yeah, collection of things. So last spring break, my family got to go and visit Rome, actually. So on our next slide, you can see there's me and my husband and kids, and my dad even got to come out for the second half of it. And we got to see the Colosseum and all of those things. So that was a, a really, really wonderful time. Um, on the next slide, sadly, when we were at the Colosseum, we did not get to see these guys. I don't know if any of you have, um, if you've visited Rome, especially during peak tourist season, you'll have these guys who dress up like Roman centurions, and they stand out in front of the Colosseum, and they get your picture taken with them, and they do all these funny, goofy kind of things. Um, you know, for a donation, of course. But um, <laughs> that's what some grown people do in, in Italy to, uh, to make a buck. So we did not get to see these Roman centurions. However, what we did get to do is, on the next slide, we got to go and visit a place called Gladiator School. It was a museum and gladiator school that was um, you got to participate in. So you can see the guy on the left was one of our instructor, instructors and museum guys. And as you can tell, that guy really looks like a fighter, doesn't he? It's because he was. He was in a special ops, um, I don't know, combat warrior, whatever, for the Italian army. And he did that for many years. So he he is not just teaching you stage moves. He, he knew his stuff. And... Um, he now, um, now that he's kind of retired out of that, um, he actually plays um, extra parts in Hollywood here and there as bad guys. He showed me on his phone. Um, there was a picture of him. I think it might have been an Avengers movie. He was one of the bad guys in the background because he's got the muscles and the, you know, ugly mug to kind of really put it off. And, and he's got, you know, the tattoos and the scars that are real scars from actual knife fights with bad guys. So he's um, very intimidating. My kids, actually, the whole time, he's a, he's a real sweet guy. And he would continually, like, you know, want to show my kids a weapon or something like that. And he'd be like, you know, put it up right next to their face. And the kids would be like... And he'd be like, oh, no, 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 relax, relax. I'm not going to see easy. It's just a stage blade. I'm not going to kill you. And he'd be like, oh, <laughs> he had to say that like five times, and finally when he realized my kids were not going to relax around him, that he just turned his attention to me and my husband. We're like... So it was kind of funny. And um, so anyway, he was a fabulous, fabulous um, museum guide, because not only was he telling us about um, the history of gladiators, and he was telling us about the history of um, ancient Roman weaponry, and their fighting techniques and strategies, and the difference between gladiators and Roman soldiers, and all of that, but then he'd also put in all of these kind of like, 
you know, if you're ever in a dark alley and a guy comes up to you and his hand is like this, you run because that's a knife and you need to make sure that you get out of the way. Like, he'd keep on putting all of these, like, real-life applications um, along with it. He was, he was a really great guy. I wish I would have taken him out for lunch afterwards because he could have just talked forever. Um, so there's, you can see on the one side, there is my husband and my kids, and then there were a couple other kids who were involved too. So they made them run around and do push-ups and obstacle course kind of things. And then they taught them some sort of um, martial arts moves that they could practice with fake weapons. And then the next um, slide, unfortunately, this, this was a, a movie clip. Um, I don't think it, Alex was saying it's, it's not loading it. This is the big one that was making my PowerPoint really super huge. But uh, my youngest has quite a spin move on him, if you could see that. So um, <laughs> they definitely are warriors in training. So one of the things that really, um, that I really took away from this experience, though, was he was telling us that there, there is a big difference between Roman soldiers and gladiators, even though they carried the same sword. You know, uh, the name of the sword that the Roman soldiers carried was called a gladius. That's the name of the sword, and it was named after um, a gladiola leaf. It looks kind of similar to a gladiola leaf. So um, a gladiator is a swordsman. He's a guy who holds a gladius. Um, but even though both are fighters in life or death struggles, um, there are a lot of differences between being a swordsman who's a gladiator or being the kind of swordsman who's a soldier. And um, so I thought today... I could have gone into just telling us some, you know, similarities between being a, being a soldier and being a prayer warrior, but I thought I'd have a little bit of fun, and I'd kind of contrast that to what's it like to be a gladiator. So, for your uh, viewing pleasure today, we're going to talk about the top four reasons. Oh, we had to move right there. That was pretty fun. Um, we're going to talk about, and actually that's a typo, the top four reasons why you might be a gladiator if. So the very first one, you might be a gladiator if there are lots of combatants but no clear enemy. So, and the next slide shows um, we got to go and see um, a lot of beautiful mosaic floors that I have no idea how they picked up the entire floor and moved it to a museum, but they did, um, especially when all of the pieces are like just teeny tiny chips of, of rock. But um, this was part of, this is like a fourth of a mosaic that is, I think it's in the Borghese Gallery, and this is a mosaic showing gladiators fighting. And you'll notice all of the words that are in Latin on there, those are the names of the gladiators. So it's kind of like, um, you know how you have... Um, wrestling champion guys who, you know, you got Dwayne The Rock Johnson and you got all these guys that have the names and stuff like that. Well, gladiators would have um, their stage name that, that they... So all of these guys have their name next to them. And we see in this picture, in some ways it looks a lot like war, right? There's a lot of action going on. There's even a bit of blood and carnage happening there. But there's no particular enemy, is there? In fact, I don't know, maybe everyone's sort of an enemy. Whoever looks like a threat is sort of the enemy, but it's not really clear what's going on. And so I wonder how many of us, in, in, in a not really 
truly life-threatening way. But how many of us sort of live like that way of being a lot of action going on, a lot of things that may seem like threats kind of around us, things that pop up that seem like threats that we just kind of lash out at. But there's no winners, right? There's, um, there's no clear enemy. Lots of combatants, no clear enemy. Soldiers and prayer warriors, in contrast, they know that there's an enemy, and they know who their enemy is. And as we read in our passage early on here, Paul points out that our enemy is the devil. And he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against those spiritual forces. So that is a very life-transforming thing when you're able to finally identify who the enemy of your soul really is. When you can understand that that guy who cut you off on the freeway is not your enemy. (laughs) Um, Maybe your impatience that's flaring up. Maybe, maybe those kind of things. Maybe that's your enemy, really. Um, or maybe someone who, who gossiped about you and hurt your feelings or something like that. I mean, even though you've been wronged, when we can look past people and understand that there are spiritual forces going on and understand that, that that's the real enemy, when you understand that you've got someone that you care about and you want to fight for the relationship, you don't want to fight against them, you want to fight for your relationship, then you can turn your focus to who your enemy really is. And soldiers and prayer warriors, they know their enemy, they know who they are, they know what that enemy is capable of. And because of that, they're not, they come to expect that battles will happen, are part of life. They're not surprised or discouraged by opposition. They discipline themselves and they train accordingly so that when that skirmish comes up, they know how to handle it. And so I think that that's something that all of us probably aspire to, right? So that when crises happen, we know how to respond. We've we've been disciplined and trained enough to know exactly how to respond in the moment. Number two. You might be a gladiator if the outcome of every battle is up to you. The next slide that I have is a continuation of this mosaic, and it's showing two gladiators fighting, and look at the guy on the left. My goodness, he's a big guy, right? Gladiators, of course, fight alone. They're dependent on their own skills and their own strength. And, man, that guy right there, that's probably why he's winning, right? Because he's super big. He is very, uh, very buff. Now, soldiers and prayer warriors are never alone, are they? Even if you were, say, say you're a soldier and say that everyone around you got slaughtered, you know that there are still backups, reinforcements just around the hill or just, uh, you know, a call away, right? You are never truly alone. You are fighting with, with a brotherhood or a sisterhood of people who are, are with you. And one of the other little aspects that I learned that really stuck with me is um, when we were at the Gladiator School and Museum, the guy said, okay, what do you think a Roman soldier looked like? He's like, you think he looks like me? And of course he's flexing his muscles and, you oh, know, I think he looks like a big, big bad guy like me, right? Because he'd be wrong. 
the average Roman soldier was, he wasn't that old. I mean, he could be in his late teens, you know, maybe early 20s. Wasn't very tall, you know, um, and I don't remember exactly how tall he said, but he was shorter than me for sure, you know. They weren't terribly tall. They weren't terribly muscular. They weren't huge, big, bad guys that if you were, you know, on their own in their own regular clothes, you'd be like, oh, I'm totally scared of them. Like, you know, that guy in the last slide. Um, they don't always look like mighty warriors, and they don't have to. Because he said, well, then how on earth would you have an army full of normal guys, normal young men? Um, what was their secret to success? And it was interesting. My son actually kind of came up with the right answer. He, he said, well, they, they work together. It's, it's their strategy, right? And um, when you had the... the part of what really made the Roman army so spectacularly successful was the fact that they were disciplined and they worked together as units. So you had eight guys who lived and, you know, ate and slept together and they were a unit and within that um, then you had a group of 80 of them with a centurion over them, and then you had those centuries that had, they, they were organized much like our military is today, but they trained and they fought together as a group, and they had all of these different um, formations and things. So you'll probably get into that a little bit more, like especially as we talk about the shield. You know, the, the Romans had their famous turtle formation where they could all kind of come together and some of them put their shields on top and some of them in front. And there was only a little tiny space in the front where that they could see out through. And all the arrows, you know, they were just totally covered by the shields. And so they could move together as a unit and come up to a wall and they could be throwing arrows at them. It really didn't matter. Um, and those shields were strong enough that you could actually walk across the top of their turtle formation. You'd ride horses across, and they'd all be safe underneath. But that's something that they had to do together as a group. Um, and we cannot forget that in the church, we are part of a larger body. I think that sometimes we in the church, we praise the example of the lone wolf Christian who is, you know, that lone soldier dependent on God alone, out there eking it out and fighting the good fight by themselves. And I'm not saying that you or, or nobody is ever going to be in a situation where certainly they feel like they're all alone. The prophet Elijah, he got in that situation, didn't he? when um, Jezebel and King Ahab were going after him, and he just ran out. And even though he was having all these tremendous successes, he ran out in the wilderness, and he was underneath the broom tree, and he just wanted to die. And part of it was because he felt like he was the only one left. And he thought, like, it doesn't matter, God. Like, we, like, I'm the last one, the only one who's following you. And he got in a really, really depressed situation there. And I don't think, um, and God is enough, right? God sent an angel to sustain him, and that angel came and told him and said, you know what, Elijah, you may feel like you're alone, but you're not. And he said, I don't remember exact, the exact number, if it was like 700. There, there were all these other um, followers throughout Israel who had not kissed Baal. And God tells him, nope, there's people out there. You don't know where they're at. They might be kind of in hiding right now. You may not be connected to them, but but they're out there. You are not alone. And like I said, um, 
I think sometimes even though we, we look at that person who's going through a lot of hard times and we go, wow, they're just really, you know, maybe that missionary who's the one person out there on the front lines doing it, doing it for Jesus. And, and certainly um, that's commendable that they're standing firm in Christ. But really, is, is, that, is that really what God, how God intends the church to operate? Where in some ways is that maybe a failure of us as a body to come around that person to actually be there for them, to be able to, um, to fight together. So I just kind of want you to, to think about that. Um, you might be, <laughs> moving on, you might be a gladiator if every battle is all and only about you. So this is the sort of flip side about fighting alone. Because, you know, when things are going horrible, that's, that's the bad part about being someone who fights alone is you feel like you're all alone. But on the other hand, if things aren't going too badly, if you feel like you're, you're actually kind of making it, um, there, there's, a, there's something to be said for that, right? There's something to be said for, I'm, I'm handling this. I can, I can do it. And gladiators were really all about their own image, because gladiators in that day, um, there were two kind of gladiators, actually. There were the ones who chose to be gladiators and the ones who didn't. The ones who didn't were the ones that, of course, the Roman Empire, just they were prisoners or um, people that they, they're just kind of putting in there for entertainment. Let's watch you die. <laughs> not, not really, um, not a place you'd want to be. But there were people who chose to be gladiators, and they were very much like the... Um, the guy compared it to the, the WWF um, fighters of today. They were celebrities. They made a name for themselves. And they could eventually fight their way up to having Roman citizenship. And the ladies all wanted them. And, you know, the guys all looked at them like, oh, wow, they were these amazing, you know, strong heroes. And... Um, they could, they could actually, you know, if they were very successful, they, they kind of lived the life of a celebrity back in the day. And I don't think that, you know, we as Christians, I don't think we necessarily as easily fall into the trap of, of you know, really thinking, really believing that it's all about us. But I do think that it's pretty easy to fall into the, um, the trap of, of, well, I can handle it, you know, being, being capable, being strong. And, and in ourselves. And often um, there are times then when we get trapped into that, when, when, when a battle comes up that's a little bit too much for us on our own, what happens then? How do we start to see ourselves if we can't handle it all on our own? How do we respond? Now, soldiers and prayer warriors often go unnamed. If you think about the tomb of the unknown soldier, right? They aren't in it for their goals and their glory. Instead, um, they're, under, they're underneath the structure of um, submission to their, to their leadership. And we as prayer warriors, ultimately, we answer to God. And we can trust him. We can trust him because he has all wisdom. And he has all, he is all goodness is, is found in him. So the thing is, is as we're praying, oftentimes I, 
have learned that um, it's good to listen for God's direction because sometimes if I'm not careful, I can get to the point where it's almost like I'm fighting God because I see something and I have a big emotional response. I see injustice or something that's not right or I'm upset about something and I feel like, oh God, I need to tug on your sleeve and I need to get your attention and I need to point it out to you, God, and I need to really get your attention so that you finally notice and you're going to do something and I need to convince you. And it puts me in a little bit in an adversarial relationship with God. And what I don't realize is that God knew about it the whole time. He knew about it before I did. He was concerned about it before I ever was. And maybe, just maybe, he drew my attention to it in some way for a purpose so that he could draw me into cooperation with his plans to solve it. So sometimes um, we need to make sure that we are listening for God's direction and knowing and trusting his heart. And one last little thing that I um, just want to bring out, you know, this, this thing about prayer warriors and soldiers often going unnamed. The thing about prayer is you may have no idea who's praying for you. You may have no idea who is regularly interceding for you. And there may be people in your life who are far from God right now, and you are interceding regularly for them, and they may have no idea that you're doing that, but your faithfulness to do so makes a difference, right? So that is really, it's, it's not easy because you don't always get the name and the credit for it, per se, at least not on this side of heaven, but, um, but that just kind of comes with the territory. All right, lastly, you might be a gladiator if you're dressed like one. And that brings us back kind of full circle here to talking about the armor of God. We have on the next slide a picture of a gladiator and a picture of a Roman soldier. And the thing is, is I was kind of looking for images and, you know, thinking about this. Of course, Russell Crowe comes up as one of the most, you know, um, images that comes up all the time for the movie Gladiator. And I, I was kind of confused because after doing a little bit of research and kind of reading through this study and realizing um, what the Roman soldiers wore, and I looked at the picture of Russell Crowe and I'm going... He's wearing a Roman soldier's uniform on, as a gladiator. Like, uh, that doesn't make sense. And then I was like, oh, of course, because actually in the movie, he was a soldier way before he was a gladiator. So, you know, it was probably, it makes sense that as a gladiator, Russell Crowe would be wearing the armor of a soldier because that would be his stage persona. You know, that would be who he was because that's how he knows how to fight. But gladiators had um, a whole wide range of you know, different, very odd-looking helmets, by the way, because they had um, different fighting techniques. So some of them were um, fought with nets, and they wore these, like, merman kind of weird scuba guy diving kind of looking like helmets. Um, some of them were, you know, horsemen, and they did bows and arrows. And so they all of their weaponry had to, you know, go along with what their techniques were. But we see here the Roman soldier, and he's got a lot of the things that Paul mentions. He's got that um, breastplate that's bifurcated, I guess is the word, so that it's flexible so he can move around. He's got his helmet. Um, he's got that very unique belt. And something that I learned is that um, the little dangly things, and 
It took them years and years and years to try and figure out what the actual correct word was for those. I don't remember what it is right now off the top of my head. But you had to be a Roman soldier to be able to wear it. It was one of the things that distinguished you as a Roman soldier. He's got his shield, he's got his sword, um, he's got the, the leather sandals, all of those things. Um, and one of the other things that I learned, to get, learned in the um, museum was that the weapons are all very multifunctional. They work together, so if you lose one of them, if, if you lose your sword, you still have, you can take your helmet that has a little, you know, pointy thing, and you can still stab your enemy with that, right? You can use your shield, and you can bang it on someone's toes. Um, there were all of these different aspects that were meant so that you could use them in different ways, and they worked together. So this was definitely armor that was, it distinguished what the guy, who the guy was, that he was a soldier. Now, one little thing that is different between a Roman soldier, and as we're talking about prayer warriors, is that the Roman soldiers had to provide their own armor. So you did have some soldiers on the field who they did not necessarily have the nice leather sandals with the hobnails in the bottom and all of that. Some of them just had cloth wrapped around their feet because the right to bear that armor is not the same as having the means or the ability to possess it. And something that's very different in this passage is where Paul is talking about how the full armor, and I was wondering, like, well, what is, there, what is the word for the full armor? Like, clearly when he says full armor, we don't necessarily talk like that in English, so there's got to be something there in the original language that he's, that, that, that's just the, a weird, awkward kind of translation for. And, and the word is panoply, which in Greek is, like, sounds or looks just about exactly. And I'm like, well, look, that doesn't really help me much. That's another big word. <laughs> doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. But the panoply, pan means all, and then the second half of it means arms. So it really is just full armor. The full armor, all the arms, all, everything of God is available to each one of us in Christ. And we just have to take it up. But it's all available to us. So the question is, are you fully dressed for battle? As I was doing some of my... Um, oops, we're going to need to switch to the next next slide, and then the one after that. One of the biblical passages that I came across as I was um, researching and studying on this was, interestingly enough, Judges 6.34. And that's the story of Gideon, who you remember was, he's known as not being that big of a tough, strong, brave kind of guy. He's instead, unfortunately, known as being a guy who was pretty fearful but God called him to be a warrior, and God called him to be a leader. And so there's this one verse in um, the middle of chapter 6 where it says that the Spirit of the Lord came on or enveloped or clothed Gideon. And um, I, I found some really interesting um, people talking about that and talking about how, it, in a sense, it was as if God clothed him, wore Gideon like a glove, came on Gideon and he wore Gideon, which is such a fascinating, interesting image there, especially then when we think about 
Paul has this metaphor over and over again. It's not just at the end of Ephesians, but there's like four other different references where Paul talks about putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, because what Paul is talking about in the end here, he's, he's talking about putting on the armor of God, but it's really just one variation on a much larger theme where Paul is talking about the fact that we are not disconnected from God on the front lines. Okay, Sometimes we also see ourselves as that, that God is very far away and we're just here trying to, trying to make it through the day, trying to fight our battles, trying to do what we can. And, you know, sometimes soldiers in real life, they, they sometimes feel a little disconnected from, um, from their leadership. But that is such an opposite, an opposite situation to our situation as Christians. Because God is indwelling us in the Holy Spirit, and he is... He's doing a new thing. He's new, doing a new thing where, he, where we are the temple now. God used to, in the Old Testament, he was showing himself to his people through the temple, saying, this is the place where I dwell. And even though he inhabits the whole earth, this is, this is a specific place where, where if you want to find God, that's where all the Jews would look. And in the New Testament, we know that through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, suddenly we are the temple of God. We are the place where if, if anyone wants to find out where God is or what God looks like or where God's moving, they look to us because he's inside us. Kind of like with Gideon there, the spirit of, of the Lord, he's, he's clothing Gideon. Well, Paul is talking about what our response is to be to that. So that even though God is inside, he's indwelling us, we are still responding to that by putting him on putting on Jesus, clothing ourselves with love and kindness and all of those things, um, those attributes of God, we are clothing ourselves with them so that as the world looks to us, they see God. And I found this really great um, thing online. This is N.T. Wright writing about Ephesians. And N.T. Wright says, it seems that Paul is drawing on that entire temple theme to say that we celebrate the fulfillment of all those Old Testament strands now that God has exalted Jesus. Jesus has ascended on high, Ephesians 1, and now he's giving his people the gifts they need to exercise the power which Jesus wants them to use. We can misunderstand power when we think of it as bullying and so on, but actually power is God's gift to his people, redefined in Christ redefined around humility and love and suffering, but it is real power nonetheless. I think that is one of the things that whenever we approach this passage, um, I mean, I came from the, the generation of plastic armor being used as the way that we um, visualize the, the armor of the Lord. In fact, my kids actually found a, they came across a, a set, and because my kids, as you can tell, are little warriors at heart, they started, they got themselves a, a set of plastic armor. But when we think about the armor of God, we can't be thinking about it in terms of plastic. We can't be thinking about it in terms of, well, you know, do those things, what do they really do? 
it is real power nonetheless because these, these attributes are really attributes of God. They're things that God clothes himself in. So as we close, I want you to take a look at the list of, these, um, of this armor. But instead of being distracted by the, the really colorful, interesting metaphors of belts and breastplates and shoes and helmets and all of those things, I just want you to read what the reality is, what the real armor is. It's truth and righteousness and a readiness given by the gospel of peace. It's faith and salvation, the Holy Spirit, the word of God, and it is prayer. These are things that we see in the Psalms. We see God wrapping himself in, in righteousness and holiness and power and love and all of those things. And those are the things that Paul is saying that we need to clothe ourselves in as well. So as you look through that list, I, I just would like you to take a moment and just, you know, which one of those particularly jumps out at you? Is there something there that you go, I, I need more of that in my life. I really want to grow in that. Or that looks like that could turn my life around, my situation. I have a particular situation, and having more faith, being ready, being grounded in truth, which ones of those things would be something that you'd be like, I need more of that? And then as we close, I think we have, we are not going to be breaking up into our small groups, um, but I'd encourage you to talk around with the women at your table and just ask yourself, I mean, do you see yourself as a prayer warrior? <laughs> do you see yourself as someone who is formidable to the enemy? Because you are. You are, not on your own. You may be like that Roman soldier who's only five foot tall and, you know, 120 pounds. That, that's, that's fine. But in Christ and um, protected by the armor of God, you are a formidable opponent. There's one other little thing that um, this is just giving you a little bit of a heads up for practically in our... Um, lesson. Um, Priscilla Shire has at the back of the book these prayer cards, and they say, my prayer strategy. And so as we go through this study, um, and she gives you a lot of them. <laughs> so you know what? She wants you to use them and not just be sparing and go, oh, well, I only have enough for one every week. There's more for, you know, more than that available. Um, not that you couldn't also go get yourself an index card or whatever. But as you're going through this study, um, we really want you to be able to think practically about how this is, how you can apply um, what we're learning in your everyday life. And so you can write down, you know, if there's a situation that you're going, hmm, okay, what I'm learning, I can, I can, I'm going to pray for that. Yeah, this gives me some insight into how I can pray for that. Write it down, tear it out, put it on your mirror, put it in your car, put it in your purse, and use these, right? And we're going to pray not just on our own, but we're going to pray for each other. So next week, we're going to make sure that in our small groups, we have a conversation about that, right? About how we make our small group time a safe, welcoming, 
environment where we can be open, where we can share what our prayer requests are, where we can pray for each other in a way that, um, that we can learn to fight together, okay? So let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you and there are many days when we do not feel very strong in ourselves. When we don't feel like um, we don't know what to do. We don't know if we have what it takes. But thank you for reminding us today that we're not alone. That you are with us. That you are in us. That you are not just in us individually, but you are in us as a body. And you've put us here together for a reason. That your strategy involves us bearing each other's burdens. Praying for each other, helping each other, loving each other. Being your hands and feet in this world. So God, we thank you that you do not leave us um, just to fight things out on our own, but that you give us your very self. You give us your life. You give us your peace, Jesus. And you give us this armor and you, you call us to, to depend on you. And so God, I pray that you would help us this study to depend more on you, that you would open our ears and help us to, um, to really listen in to where you're calling us and to um, how you're shaping us to become formidable opponents. Thank you, God, for this study. Thank you for these women. In Jesus' name, amen.